And we're live. Thank you guys for coming back. Um, I thought this was kind of an interesting thing. I wanted to start off with this. So this podcast is called Extremist Literature, right? And there's no upper limit on how many of these I can do per week. Um, I try to keep it down to one per week because I don't want to burn myself out, but I really do enjoy doing these. But there is, I was considering just kind of doing on the side, in addition to pure worship of Jehovah, I was thinking about doing other literature too, like an extra one per week or something. I don't know. But I got my hands on Dabiq. I, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it was a city, I believe it was a city that was captured by ISIS um, back in their, their heyday, like when they were at their prime. I mean, they're still out there killing people and all that stuff, but when they first split off and created the caliphate and all that good junk, they created this propaganda uh, magazine called Dabiq. And they were spreading it out to their members. So I got ISIS propaganda, and I would not mind going through that. That seems pretty interesting to me. I may end up going through, like, a few pages of that at some point. Um, it was actually surprisingly easy to find, but I fear I'm probably on some watch lists now. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I got it in PDF format. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome stuff. Who knows? Maybe we'll go through it. Anyway. Okay. Well, let's go through uh, Pure Worship of Jehovah. So this is, uh, as aforementioned, this is Jehovah's Witnesses' new book that they're just releasing or that they just released on the website, and that's going to be coming out um, at most of the conventions around the world um, over the next year or so. So we're on Chapter 4. So chapter 4, here's the focus of chapter 4. It says, the living creatures and what we learn from a study of them. So that's the focus of this chapter. We're focusing on the living creatures and what we learn from a study of them. So the name of the chapter is, who are the living creatures with four faces? I remember when I was little, kind of going through the Revelation book and seeing a lot of this I don't really know how to word it. Like, it's the Watchtower Society's interpretation of uh, of what the Bible is describing, right? And the Bible describes some pretty interesting stuff in the book of Revelation, and apparently in the book of Ezekiel, too, since because that's what this book is based on, is the book of Ezekiel. But I feel like there's, like, another level uh, to it with... Uh, Jehovah's Witness artists, another level of just, I don't know, really crazy. I, I don't even know how to word it. It's just really crazy look. Like all of the art that they put in these books are just really unique, crazy looking pieces of art. All right, let's get into it. So this is paragraph one. It says, imagine a family with small children sitting around their kitchen table studying the Bible. To help the children understand a scriptural truth, the father shows them some simple drawings. The children's smiles and animated comments indicate that their father is succeeding. By adding pictures to his words, he helps his children to grasp teachings about Jehovah that otherwise would be beyond their level of understanding. <laughs> Isn't that funny? They're talking about why they use graphic imagery right now, because it 
it burns it into people's minds. It's another level to propaganda. So with Jehovah's Witnesses, um, it, it, with propaganda more generally. So in the 80s, there was, there was uh, Cold War propaganda. They had the U.S. was putting out propaganda posters to scare people. Uh, that make them afraid of Russia, for example. It was called the Red Scare, communism. It, they were afraid of communism, so on and so forth. And they would put out propaganda posters. It was pictures of, I don't know, people just doing terrible things to Americans or, or just, you know, every piece of that picture was put in there very specifically, intentionally, to give the viewer, to evoke uh, an emotional reaction in the viewer, right? Um, and you can see that because there, there's propaganda today that various different governments put out. They, in video form even, they pay close attention to the music that they play. They try to play a specific type of music to evoke that that feeling in people. They will... Uh, put a certain filter on it to make people feel a certain way. Uh, you know, they'll just have people in it doing certain things. It's designed to make you feel a certain specific way about something. And it goes just above and beyond a basic picture designed to give you a certain reaction, right? It goes beyond that. It's a step past that. And... These pictures that Jehovah's Witnesses are putting in their literature like this, this is just one piece of propaganda trying to burn this information into your brain, trying to evoke a certain reaction, trying to inspire certain feelings in you. It goes a, a step beyond just, you know, simple pictures in a book. It goes beyond that. So, anyways, yeah, that's... That's why Jehovah's Witnesses put so much focus on their artwork, their pictures, and, and all that stuff. Um, a good example of this is in the Bible storybook. I talked about this recently. The Bible storybook, almost every picture in there is some violent thing taking place, somebody dying. They put that stuff in there because they wanted to evoke uh, a feeling of fear in children. They wanted them to be afraid of of leaving the organization. Now, they could have just put a single picture of, of, you know, fireballs raining from heaven and gotten the point across, right? But they didn't just leave it there. They hammered it in. They put one after another after another. They wanted people, they wanted children to feel this certain way. They wanted to give them nightmares to be afraid of leaving the organization. That was their intent. It's why they did it the way they did it. That is propaganda. And uh, they're still at the, the same old tricks now. So anyway. All right. So this is paragraph number two. Let me just read the, the last sentence from paragraph one so that we, you know, that so we're back. We know where we were before. By adding pictures to his words, he helps his children to grasp teachings about Jehovah that otherwise would be beyond their level of understanding. Paragraph two. Similarly, Jehovah has used visual aids to help his human children gain insight into unseen realities that they would not grasp otherwise. For example, to explain profound truths about himself, Jehovah showed Ezekiel 
a vision filled with striking images. In the preceding chapter of this publication, we considered one such image. Let us now focus on one specific part of that impressive vision and see how understanding its meaning can help us to draw closer to Jehovah. Okay, let's just... Um, if you're listening to the podcast and not watching this on YouTube, that's fine. Uh, I'm just going to scroll up a little bit for those of you who are watching so that we get a feel for the last vision they were talking about. So, in the last episode of the podcast, they were talking about the wheels that were at right angles to each other. They were perpendicular to each other, I think is the word. So it, it, it basically looked like two rings that were uh, one inside of the other, kind of, so that the wheel could go in any direction without having to um, turn, I guess you could say. And the wheels had eyes on them to, to see everything. That was kind of the vision that was in the book of Ezekiel. And uh, Jehovah's Witnesses did a phenomenal job, as always, of depicting this wheel in their in their publications i mean it's just another another piece of the puzzle to try to get people sucked into this whole mindset this whole emotion this whole viewpoint is the graphic imagery so okay back to where we were so that was paragraph two now we're at the first subheading first subheading is I saw what looked like four living creatures. Paragraph 3. Read Ezekiel 1, 4, and 5. Yeah, let me just read that real quick. It says, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human. Okay, interesting. Okay, so it says, read Ezekiel 1, 4, and 5. Then it says, Ezekiel describes what looked like four living creatures with angelic, human, and animal features. I didn't see angelic or animal features in those verses. Maybe it's further down, but I'm just saying it said, in appearance, their form is human. That's actually what the verse said. So I'm not sure where they're getting this animal and angelic form. Kind of strange. Okay, so continuing on, it says, They were angelic, human, and animal features. Notice how precisely Ezekiel recorded his impression, stating that he saw what looked like living creatures, quote-unquote, what looked like living creatures. As you read the entire vision found in Ezekiel chapter 1, you'll note that the prophet repeatedly used such expressions as looked like, was like, and resembled. Clearly, Ezekiel re, uh, realized that he saw mere likenesses or images of invisible realities that exist in heaven. Okay. Not really sure where they're going with this yet. So let me just back up and read that one more time for my own sake. It says, As you read the entire vision found in Ezekiel 1, chapter 1, You'll note that the prophet repeatedly used such expressions as looked like, was like, and resembled. Clearly, Ezekiel realized that he saw mere likenesses or images of invisible realities that exist in heaven. Huh. Okay, I'm not sure where they're going with this yet. Let's just continue on. This is uh, That was paragraph three. Here's four. 
Ezekiel must have been awestruck by the vision's sights and sounds. The appearance of the four living creatures was like burning coals of fire, quote-unquote. Their fast movements resembled, quote, flashes of lightning, unquote. Their wings sounded, quote, like a sound of rushing waters, unquote. And their movements, quote, like the sound of an army, unquote. See the box, I was watching the living creatures. In a later vision, Ezekiel identified these four living creatures as cherubs, or mighty angelic creatures. Having been raised in a priestly family, Ezekiel no doubt knew that cherubs are closely associated with God's presence and serve as his attendants. Um, okay, I'm not going to object to this too hard, but what they said here, having been raised in a priestly family, Ezekiel no doubt knew that cherubs are closely associated, blah, blah, blah. They don't know what Ezekiel knew. They're just assuming that. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm not objecting to the idea that maybe he did know that. I'm just saying they're inserting that in there. They, you know, the Bible never alludes to the fact that he knew any of this. I don't even know what him knowing that has to do with the story yet. I'm just saying they do this a lot. They, they inject information in because... They are God's mouthpiece, and they have the right to do that in their eyes. They know how things work because God speaks to them, and their words are God's words, basically. So, anyways, it's just, you know, it goes to a history of them doing that. So, that was the, um, that was paragraph four. Now, there's, this is the next subheading. It's called, Each One Had Four Faces. Here's paragraph five. Read Ezekiel 1, 6, and 8. Okay, let's just, let's give it a read real quick. It says, But each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on, uh, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings. Okay, odd. So, it's, right now, it's basically just describing these creatures. Uh, that that Jehovah's Witnesses have depicted here uh, at the beginning of the the chapter. It looks like Jehovah's Witnesses have this creature with like a, a hawk head and a lion head and possibly a bull. I'm not really sure. Okay, so paragraph five says, read Ezekiel one six and eight or six through eight. No, it says six and eight. It doesn't even say read number seven. That's weird. Okay. Ezekiel also noted that each cherub had four faces, a face of a man, a lion, a bull, and an eagle. Seeing these four faces must have made a deep impression on Ezekiel about the surpa- I'm sorry, about the surpassing greatness of Jehovah's might and glory. Why so? Significantly, each face belonged to a creature that embodies majesty, strength, and mightiness. The lion is a majestic wild animal. The bull, an impressive domestic animal. The eagle, a mighty bird. And man, the crowning achievement of God's earthly creation, the ruler of all other creatures on earth. Nevertheless, in this vision, Ezekiel saw that all four mighty representatives of creation, as depicted by the four faces of each cherub, were situated below the throne of Jehovah, who is the supreme sovereign over all. What a fitting way to illustrate that Jehovah can use his creation to accomplish his purpose. Indeed, as the psalmist declares about Jehovah, his majesty is above earth and heaven. Okay, 
That's really interesting. Um, so the thing about this is, here's the thing about Jehovah's Witnesses. So all through the book of Revelation, they have these really, really weird descriptions of things, right? They have these weird uh, depictions of animals and, and things like that. And Jehovah's Witnesses will say, look, an eagle appeared in this verse here, and an eagle symbolizes this thing or that thing, and that means that this verse is referring to Babylon the Great or whatever. Or, or think about this. This is another thing Jehovah's Witnesses do. They'll say, notice how there were seven of these creatures in this verse here. The number seven is connected to holiness. It's a, it's a holy number. It's a good number. It represents Jehovah. That means that these creatures represent God's organization, or, or some nonsense like that. Like, they'll get into numerology, or they'll connect dots that just don't need to be connected at all. Um, and they will claim that they have God's mandate. They'll claim that they're God's mouthpiece, so this is what it means. And then they'll make predictions off of what they, uh, off of their interpretation of this. And when those predictions fall flat, they pretend they never made them in the first place. That's how this works. Right here in this paragraph, we see them talking about these creatures being the, you know, representing the mightiest creatures on the planet. Man and a lion and a bull and uh, an eagle or something or a hawk or whatever, right? Just wait. I, I will bet anything they're going to make a prediction off of this. I will bet anything. Let's just get there and see what happens with it. Okay, so that was number five. Okay, here's number six. After some time had passed and Ezekiel had reflected on what he'd seen, he may have recalled that God's servants who lived before his time had used animals in comparisons. For instance, the patriarch Jacob had compared his son Judah to a lion and his son Benjamin to a wolf. Why? Because the lion and the wolf picture characteristics or attributes that would stand out in these men's personalities. So with such examples from Moses' inspired writings in mind, Ezekiel may well have concluded that the cherub's faces also pictured outstanding qualities or attributes. But which attributes? Okay. See what they're doing here? They're kind of... So they... They're taking... Uh, this description from the Bible, just some random description of some random creature from some random dream this guy had, right? And they are, they're taking tiny steps one after another, and they're saying, uh, look, this means this, and then this means that, and then this means this, and then they're just going to go all the way down the chain until we end up with a full-blown prediction. Just wait and see, I'm telling you. That's what's happening here. So now they're, they're saying um, Ezekiel may well have concluded, may well have concluded that the cherub's faces, uh, may well have concluded that the cherub's faces also pictured outstanding qualities or attributes, but which attributes? So they're about to make a prediction off of this. Let's see what it says. This is uh, subheading, this, this subheading is called Attributes Belonging to Jehovah and His Heavenly Family. This is paragraph 7. With what characteristics did Bible writers who lived b before Ezekiel's time associate the lion, the eagle, and the bull? Note the, uh, sorry, note these Bible phrases. The courageous man whose heart is like that of a lion 
An eagle flies upward, and its eyes look far into the distance. The power of a bull yields an abundant harvest. Based on such scriptures, the lion's face pictures courageous justice, the eagle's face far-seeing wisdom, the bull's face irresistible power, and has often been stated in our publications. Okay, you see what's happening here, right? I'm not the only one. They're, they're picking verses out of the Bible that make any mention of lions or tigers or bears or whatever. Oh my. And they are trying to take those attributes and pull them out of the Bible, you know, from different parts of it and apply it to this vision that that Ezekiel is having. Right, just just bear with me on this. You guys will I mean, this is going to get really interesting in a minute. Let's just continue reading. So that was seven. Here's eight. But what about the face of a man? It must refer to a quality that could be portrayed, not by any, not by any animal, but by humans who are made in God's image. They're extrapolating. They're just making this up off the top of their heads at this point. That quality on earth unique to humans is highlighted by God's commands. You must love Jehovah your God with all your heart. And you must love your fellow man as yourself. When we obey these commands by showing unselfish love, we reflect Jehovah's own love. As the Apostle John wrote, we love because he first loved us. Hence, the face of a man represents love. Okay, they're just completely pulling this out of their ass. Like, there's no basis for any of this. Okay, so they just applied attributes to all of these uh, characters in this vision. Right, so the bull represents strength, according to Jehovah's Witnesses. The eagle, it so the the quote about an eagle is from Job thirty nine. It says, "An eagle flies upward, and its eyes look far into the distance." <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything, uh, but they said the eagle is far seeing wisdom. So, from a verse that says an eagle looks far into the distance, they derive the idea that the eagle represents wisdom. That is a stretch if I've ever seen it. Uh, and then the lion was uh, courage, the bull was strength, and then man is love. So, all right, now that we've established that. Okay, let's continue. Uh, that, so now we're on paragraph nine. To whom do these attributes belong? Since the faces belong to the cherubs, the attributes belong to all whom the visionary cher I'm sorry, whom the visionary cherubs represent, Jehovah's heavenly family of loyal spirit creatures. Yeah, I'm confused how they got there. Uh, so they're saying that all of these attributes they listed, love, courage, strength, and, and wisdom, says the faces belong to the cherubs, the attributes belong to all whom the visionary cherubs represent, Jehovah's heavenly family of loyal spirit creatures. I'm assuming that means angels. Moreover, as Jehovah is the source of the cherubs' life, he's also the source of their attributes. Thus, the cherubs' faces picture attributes belonging to Jehovah himself. Okay, of course. What are... God, I swear. What are a few ways in which Jehovah shows these outstanding attributes? Ugh, this, this book kills me, I swear. Okay, so that was uh, paragraph 9. Let's give uh, paragraph 10 a read, see what it says. 
Okay, so the last sentence in 9 says, What are a few ways in which Jehovah shows these outstanding attributes? Here's 10. Justice, in bold. As the God who loves justice, quote-unquote, Jehovah treats none with partiality, quote-unquote. He treats none with partiality. Okay. Thus, the opportunity to become and remain his servants and to receive eternal blessings is open to all of us, regardless of our social standing or background. Oh, okay, I see. So they bolded a few words here. Uh, they bolded justice, wisdom, power, and love. So those are apparently the four attributes that they, uh, they said that these animals represent, or cherubs or whatever. Um, power comes from the bull. Wisdom comes from the, the eagle, supposedly, although that's a serious stretch. All of these are real stretches. Love comes from man. So that means justice comes from the lo- the lion? I thought they said courage comes from the lion. It says the courageous man whose heart is like that of a lion. Isn't that... I thought that was courage. Okay, whatever. So it says, uh, let's see. Thus the opportunity to become and remain his servants and to receive eternal blessings is open to all of us, regardless of our social standing or background. And then we've got wisdom bolded. As the God who is wise in heart, Jehovah has provided a book full of practical wisdom, quote-unquote. Applying the Bible's wise counsel helps us to deal with life's day-to-day challenges and to live meaningful lives. And then we've got power, which is bolded. As the God who is, quote-unquote, great in power, Jehovah uses his Holy Spirit to give us, quote-unquote, power beyond what is normal. This strengthens us to cope with whatever severe and painful trials we may face. Okay, so that was paragraph 10. So they covered justice, wisdom, and power in that one. And then in paragraph 11, we've got love. Um, hang on, let me just skip ahead real quick and just take a quick look. Oh, wow. Oh, this is a super short chapter. Huh, okay. Well, we're on chapter, or we're on, um, we're on par- paragraph 11. And there are only 16 in this one. Usually they're like 25 or 30. So uh, who knows? Maybe we'll finish it today. Okay. So let's get to number 11 now. The, the very last attribute they list is love. And supposedly they said that one comes from man. So, But like I said, that one is a huge stretch too. Okay, love. As the God abundant in loyal love, Jehovah never abandons his faithful worshipers. Thus, even if we're saddened because ill health or advanced age prevents us from doing as much in Jehovah's service as before, we draw comfort from knowing that Jehovah remembers the labors of love we have rendered to him in the past. Clearly, we already greatly benefit from Jehovah's expressions of justice, wisdom, power, and love, and we'll continue to benefit from these four cardinal attributes in times to come. Interesting. Okay, so that was 11. Okay, here's number 12. Of course, we should keep in mind that what we as humans are able to understand about Jehovah's qualities amounts to just the fringes of his ways. (laughs) Understanding the Almighty is beyond our reach, for His greatness is unsearchable. Hence, we realize that Jehovah's qualities cannot be, uh, cannot be numbered or put into categories. In fact, Ezekiel's vision itself reveals that God's attributes are not limited in number or in scope. What aspect of the vision highlights that important truth? 
Okay. So they just sat here and interpreted the Bible, interpreted this vision. I remember them when I was little. Uh, we were talking about psychology in one of my classes. I don't remember. Maybe it was in middle school or high school or something. They were talking about dreams and how you can tell um, this thing or that thing based on what you dream. So things like if your teeth fall out in a dream, it means you're afraid that you're ugly or something. I don't know how true it is. Maybe it was just a conversation with friends. I don't know that they were even teaching it in school. It was just something we were talking about, right? So I talk about that with my mom. And she just freaked out because you're not supposed to do dream interpretation as a Jehovah's Witness. I mean, they take it seriously. This isn't even like a little thing. They take this shit seriously. Uh, the, if you start doing that, you can let demons into your life. If you start talking about dream interpretations, right? That's literally exactly what Jehovah's Witnesses are doing here, though, in this book. They're interpreting this dream or vision or whatever it was in their own way. The governing body are interpreting it in their own way, which I find super fascinating for so many reasons. But they're just taking this weird-ass dream, makes zero sense, and they're extrapolating and twisting and bending it until it fits what they want it to say. It's just really fascinating. Okay. So I think that was... Um, well, which one was that? Yeah, okay, that was number 12. So the next subheading is called Four Faces, Four Wings, Four Sides. Here's more interpretation. And more pictures. I hope you guys are watching this on YouTube. The pictures are pretty interesting. They kind of pull it together. Um, anyway, okay, so this is paragraph 13. It says, Ezekiel saw in vision that each of the cherubs had not one, but four faces. What does that indicate? Recall that, okay, here's numerology. You ready for this? Jehovah's Witnesses are really big on numbers and, and their meanings. Six is a bad number, seven is a good number. They have all kinds of meanings for different numbers. Okay, so it says, what does that indicate? The fact that they had four faces. Recall that in God's word, the number four is often used to represent that which is fully rounded out, all embracing or complete. There you go. There's their numerology. Significantly, in this particular vision, Ezekiel mentions the number four no less than 11 times. Wow. Is it coincidence? Yes. Yes, it's coincidence. Okay. It says, what then can we conclude? Just as the four italics cherubs represent all other loyal spirit creatures, so the four faces of the cherubs, when viewed together stand for or embrace all the attributes that Jehovah possesses. More interpretation. They're just pulling information out of this, extrapolating, kind of making up a story that wasn't there in the first place. Um, God, these people. It's really interesting to see how their minds work, though. Okay, so we have a big, like, section here. This, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's got, like, a bunch of pictures, and it's, got some text. I think it's talking, it's, the title is, I was watching the living creatures, and it's got some text about Ezekiel and stuff, so we're going to cover that in a minute, um, but for the moment, let's just finish this up. So this is paragraph 14. It says, to illustrate how the meaning of the cherub's four faces may include more than just four qualities, consider as a comparison what takes place with the four wheels in this vision. Each wheel is impressive, 
but when the four wheels are viewed together, they form more than four impressive individual wheels. They are the foundation on which the chariot rests. In a similar way, when the four faces are viewed together, they form more than four impressive individual attributes. They are the foundation—sorry, oh, they are the foundation of Jehovah's awe-inspiring personality. Okay, that's super interesting. So now they're just kind of forming out their what their their interpretation, their revelation, I guess, is what you'd call it. Yeah, and on this page, on this page, we've got pictures of a woman just embracing a picture. I don't really know what that's about. Looking out the window, staring longingly while embracing a picture. And then another picture of her talking to two elders, two male elders. And then another picture of her sitting in a room at a table with four other Jehovah's Witnesses studying a magazine together. And there's a little... Uh, note below it that says we are never beyond the reach of Jehovah's loyal love yeah interesting okay so that was 14 I believe next subheading says Jehovah is close to all his loyal servants here's uh, paragraph 15 through his first vision Ezekiel learned a vital and heartening truth about his relationship with Jehovah what was it that truth is indicated in the opening words of the prophet's book after stating that he was, quote, in the land of the Chaldeans, unquote, Ezekiel, speaking with his own experience, added, uh, there, in italics for some reason, there the hand of Jehovah came upon him. Note that Ezekiel stated that he received the vision not in Jerusalem, but there. Oh, I see. Okay, they were trying to draw attention to it, I guess. Um, not in Jerusalem, but there in Babylon. So what did that fact reveal to Ezekiel? This. Although, okay, now here you ready for suppositions? You ready for them to make shit up? Although he was a lowly exile who had been separated from Jerusalem and, his temp and its temple, he had not been separated from Jehovah and his worship. Jehovah's appearing to Ezekiel in Babylon demonstrated that rendering pure worship to God did not depend on location or position. Instead, it depended on Ezekiel's heart condition and his desire to serve Jehovah. Interesting. Okay. Well, here's the thing about that. Okay, so... I've always felt like... Jehovah's Witnesses back in World War II, they make this big deal about the Purple Triangle. The Purple Triangle. They even had a movie called The Purple Triangle, like this Jehovah's Witness-produced documentary. Um, so, as far as I know, in World War II, when the Germans were capturing Jews, they would give them a gold star. They would put it on their outfit so that they knew that it was a Jew and, you know, whatever. Um, well, when they captured Jehovah's Witnesses, they'd put a purple triangle on their outfit so they knew it was a Jehovah's Witness, supposedly. I, I'm pretty confident that this is actually true. Of course, it came from the Watchtower Society, and like I said, by default, I distrust anything I learn from that. I, I really want to do independent research on it, but I just haven't. Anyways, I believe it's true. I believe that that's actually the case, the purple triangle thing. So, anyways, um, Jehovah's Witnesses in World War II were given the option to sign this document that said... 
I am no longer Jehovah's Witness. And they'd be let go. They'd be allowed to go free. Now, you can't convert out of a race, Israelite. And that's who they were killing in World War II. They were killing Jewish people, ethnically Jewish people, uh, Israelis, basically. They were killing Israeli people and religiously Jewish people. You can't convert out of that. You can't convert out of an ethnicity. But you can convert out of a religion. And Jehovah's Witnesses were allowed to sign this piece of paper that said, you know, I'm not Jehovah's Witness anymore. But they didn't. They were told not to by the Watchtower Society at that time. Uh, not just that, but they were told not... I mean, they've been told not to uh, sign the paper to be allowed out of prison in all kinds of different circumstances. Like in Russia, when they were jailed, and, you know, they've been jailed throughout history um, numerous times in less progressive countries who weren't opposed to banning religion, like I am and like the U.S. is. But anyways... The Watchtower Society absolutely insists, doesn't matter if you sign this piece of paper and that means you can now go preach and, and convert 50 new people. You sit in prison, period. No questions asked. You just sit in prison. That's the rule. I don't care how many people you can bring into the truth, quote unquote. Um, so I find it interesting here that in this paragraph, they're talking about how Ezekiel realizes that it doesn't matter where you serve or how you serve, as long as you're pure in heart, as long as you believe and and all of that other junk, right? Uh, I find it really interesting that they're saying that now, where throughout history, and even now, honestly, even now, you you have to tell your captors or whoever it is, you have to be honest about it, no matter what, to the death, literally to the death. Even if, even if lying will save your life, you have to be honest about it. But they have no issue with you lying and manipulating and cheating and stealing and doing whatever it takes to, uh, to further the goals of the Watchtower Society, to save some, or to, um, to, to cover up their transgressions or to bring somebody into the organization or whatever else it is. As long as it isn't to save your life. It's just fascinating the way their, their minds work. Okay, so that was 16. Here's 17. Sadly, though, in Ezekiel's day, pure worship was defiled. How did that come about? How did Jehovah react? And what significance do those ancient events have for us today? These questions will be considered in the following chapters. Okay, so that's the end of the chapter, actually, surprisingly, uh, which is pretty good timing, actually. But, yeah, there is one more thing here that I wanted to read. Um, it is on page 47. Okay, here's page 47. It says, I was watching the living creatures. It says, Ezekiel had no doubt uh, seen... Okay, Ezekiel had no doubt seen colossal sculptures of winged bulls and lions with human heads standing as guardians in front of palaces and temples. Such statues were found throughout ancient Assyria and Babylonia. Like all onlookers, he must have stared in wonder at these formidable creatures, some standing nearly 20 feet tall. Still, no matter how powerful these creatures looked, they were lifeless, carved from stone. In contrast, the four creatures that Ezekiel saw in vision 
were living creatures. What a striking difference. This sight had such an impact on Ezekiel that he mentioned the words living creatures 11 times in the introduction of this prophecy. Ugh. The vision of the four living creatures moving in unison below God's throne must have deeply impressed on Ezekiel that Jehovah is in full control of all creation. Today, the same vision vividly impresses us with the greatness and mightiness of Jehovah and the magnificence of his sovereignty. Okay. So it says, see paragraph four at the beginning of this. Basically, what, I'm, what I am pulling from this is... In paragraph four, they're dis- they're they're describing this creature, right? This this creature with like uh, the head of a an eagle and a lion and uh, and a human and whatever a bull. So he's describing that creature, right? And the Watchtower Society, they're like, you know, this is amazing. Like he's describing it very specifically these heads for these reasons and and this head represents this attribute and this one represents that attribute and you know we we can take those attributes and apply them to this thing and it means that and they're they've just got this whole big plan lined up very specific plan lined up very specific understanding of this whole thing right and then right in the middle of the chapter is this one page where they're like, okay, yeah, so Ezekiel saw a lot of these statues in front of palaces and temples, so we're not really surprised that he came up with these specific creatures. That kind of debunks their whole thing, doesn't it? It's kind of strange that they'd even put this in there. Uh, Why would they even mention that? That there were a bunch of these statues in front of palaces and... uh, Where is it? What does it say? It says in front of palaces and temples. So Ezekiel purportedly was used to seeing the, you know, eagle statues, lion statues, bull statues in front of palaces and temples in his area at that time. And now he comes up with a vision with these, you know, with four statues with these faces on them. And Jehovah's Witnesses, instead of saying, oh, he must have been deriving in, you know, he he must have just been kind of reading back his experience of seeing these things at the temples. Instead of saying that, they're saying, this is what it means. It means this thing and that thing. I don't know, it's just confusing. I don't know why they'd even put this in here. They're they're a very confusing bunch. But uh, anyways, yeah. So that's uh, that's the end of, I believe that was chapter four. Okay, that, that was chapter four. There's a Oh, yeah, that's the end of section one also. That's cool. So next is section two, chapter five. I'm excited to uh, to move on to that section next time. So that's going to be pretty interesting. But, yeah, thank you guys for coming and listening, and I will see you guys next week.